This is the PGA of Canada Professional Development Podcast Series. Industry leaders, PGA professionals discussing technology, fitness, planning your business, building your career. These talks, these ideas, developed for you to live a better life and earn a better living. Really excited to welcome Luke to the show. How are you doing, Luke? I'm doing well. Yourself? Good, good. Well, thank you for um, for joining the PGA of Canada podcast. Uh, really excited to, to have this chat. Now, full disclosure before we start, and I don't have this on our notes, but full disclosure, um, Luke and I know each other. Uh, I am married to Luke's cousin. So uh, I've, I've known Luke for a long time and kind of have followed his journey through the golf business. So uh, when we were talking about doing a PGA of Canada podcast. I was like, Hey, I know somebody that I think would work really well. And here he is. So my pleasure. Um, Luke, maybe tell us a little bit about you, about your business, uh, some of your responsibilities, et cetera. Yeah, absolutely. So I basically run uh, a golf business kind of in central Alberta, um, where I'm the director of instruction. So I do a lot of coaching and teaching. So we have an academy for juniors, uh, as well as adults. Um, and then I also more recently help with uh, the Maple Leaf Junior Tour, which is the number one played junior tour in the country. So I I uh, help out them with uh, running events and uh, leading in their college recruitment program. Very cool. And you've been a golf professional for how many years now? Uh, since 2009. So I joined the association in 2009. Cool. And what was yeah. your journey like to get to where you are now? Um, the journey, well, I started off as a club pro, um, and kind of started working with that. And then I had some, some teaching that I really fell in love with and, and I had students of all ages and all abilities. And then I kind of had some competitive juniors that made me kind of like the coaching side of the game as well. And I think it's been about four years now. I've kind of been self-employed running, running this business and kind of, I mean, it's kind of driven by the the instruction side of things. So moved full-time away from a course and a little bit more on your own now? Exactly. Yeah. So not as much as a club professional, but still part of the association and uh, love all the education and and stuff that they provide, but uh, more on a teaching side of things now. And you mentioned the juniors. We'll get into that because it's, it's, pretty remarkable about some of the accomplishments some of your some of your students have had now the past 18 20 months have been kind of ridiculous and a little bit challenging what would you say were some of your big challenges as as uh, we've we've gone through covid well i was kind of fortunate in that i was able to i i although i had a lot of challenges i was able to kind of sidestep them or or work through them rather swiftly with with uh, my students being a, a resilient bunch and always wanting to be students of the game we were able to find virtual means of of getting our instruction through so there were challenges like face-to-face lessons had to be done virtually um, so a lot more FaceTime a lot more uh, virtual communications with text messages and stuff like that and videos and stuff with their swings um, but then challenges to where um, courses not being open, practice facilities not being open, stuff like that. So just there was, I mean, they were faced, I think, in every aspect of life. So 
they there were some some challenges with golf as well but i think golf was able one of the industries that was able to kind of be the the leaders and and made some good headway through through some of the covid stuff for sure and you mentioned the virtual aspect i Absolutely. would imagine teaching golf virtually is a little bit different um, and a little bit unique. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I'm a big user of video in a lot of the stuff I do. So um, for me, it, it wasn't too tough to have students kind of send their videos in and, and we can just work off of that video because video is a big part of how I instruct uh, on a day-to-day basis. Um, but it, it, the communication and, and getting some of the drills and the feels across uh, virtually was a little bit harder and, and not everybody has the practice space where they can hit balls inside and get you the video of their swing. So there was challenges that way for sure. And you mentioned practice space. So in normal times or semi-normal times, what kind of facility do you run out of? Where do you, where do you do your teaching? Well, obviously in season, I'm at a few, I kind of bounce around to a few different courses in, in the central Alberta area. And then, um, in the winter, there's a couple indoor facilities that we use. So I have my own little um, golf studio set up at the Meadowlands Golf Course in Sylvan Lake, Alberta. And then I have an indoor studio at uh, the Multiplex here in Sylvan Lake as well. So another room there where we can use uh, golf simulators and screen golf to, to do some of our lessons. From a marketing standpoint, I think it's it's a really interesting idea too in that You've been able to really adapt what you do, even to where you teach, not necessarily out of one place all the time, being able to, to adapt to, to your audience, et cetera, and almost bring your show on the road, if you will. Absolutely. Um, you know, there was, I was, I was lucky enough marketing wise to find a bit of a niche market um, in the central Alberta area for, for coaching um, and, and teaching. So that's kind of what led me down this route. Um, but I do have some students where I've worked with them on location at their houses where they have their own simulators and stuff like that. I know there's a couple families that they're lucky enough to to have a golf simulator right in their, their shop or their garage or in their house. And, and I've been fortunate enough to go, you know, be invited to those types of places to work with, with students and clients as well. Very cool. I, I mean, nothing wrong with having a simulator in your house either. That's no, a, that's no. A nice <laughs> yeah, one day maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. Now, you mentioned uh, a little bit earlier about the Junior Academy. And um, I know from knowing you uh, a little bit about it and, and the successes that you've had. Tell us a little bit about that program and some of those successes and, and kind of how it started and where it is now. Absolutely. You know, it, it's amazing how it all really started and, and how it's grown Um, but basically it started by just teaching all ages, all skill levels. Uh, I'm a big fan of, of just promoting the game and promoting it to, to young golfers and junior golfers of all ages. Um, so, you know, it kind of really started, I want to say for me, probably seven, eight years ago where I had a handful of young high school students that I was working with. Um, I kind of gravitated to working to with some students that, had some tournament experience and stuff like that. But at the same time, I had some students that hadn't played golf at all and were, and were a very young age and and were basically a clean slate. So, um, I got, I got a hands-on experience of working with a competitive golfer who had already the skill set required to play golf. Um, and then I had a skill set where you had to develop all the skills from, from the ground up and, 
um, been lucky enough with the ones that kind of had some of their skill set, were able to get them performing better on on junior tours and and stuff like that. So we had some success where we were able to get. I think I have now five students that I've successfully placed into um, a post secondary school or a collegiate program for golf, um, and then working with students from the ground up we have provincial winners and and national winners on some of those tours as well and then some international qualifiers to some of the junior world events across the uh, the united states so um it's been amazing to see where these kids take the game and and the talent to golf and i i just feel lucky to be a part of it sometimes would it be safe to say you know we talk a lot in marketing about niche markets and and sometimes being the absolute best in a niche market instead of being one of the many in a larger market would it be safe to say then although you do teach juniors of of all um abilities that higher end better player junior is that kind of where your niche is yeah you know i guess that's maybe where originally i thought it was going to but i think more recently my niche has been um, starting with, with kids at a younger age that kind of aspire to play, to play good golf. So I, I've kind of in, in the last couple of years, I've definitely seen more of my clientele or more of my students be the, the clean slates where they're, they're very young, sometimes six years old, um, no experience to golf. And then, but they aspire to play, you know, high level golf or, or or something along that line so i guess i'm getting maybe not typecast but almost into the sense where i have a reputation in this area where if you want your your young child to to succeed in in golf well go see this guy kind of thing um which i'm not i'm not opposed to because it's definitely not me that takes the success out of this it's usually the students that uh, just take I, i provide tools to them and they take the tools and and use them how they will they still got to put in the work, right? Oh, absolutely. For sure. So interesting when you talk about junior golf and, and um, teaching juniors, if we look at it from a target audience standpoint, you mentioned the idea of word of mouth. Somebody sees another junior golfer and is like, how did that kid get so good? And maybe your name comes up in conversation there. But if we look at it from a target audience standpoint, if you're going and doing some marketing or creating content, are you creating it? to get the junior interested and maybe coming and checking out what you have to offer or the parent or a little bit of both? It's a little bit of both. Um, I, I find for the older students, I want to say the ones that are active on, on the social media channels that I use, um, that high school student, uh, I'm definitely trying to cater to maybe them specifically. And obviously the younger clientele, I'm no, trying to probably market towards their parents definitely so it, it's it's a combination of both and the message has to be a little bit different too right if you're talking to the student compared to the compared to the parent absolutely yeah the the message is a little bit different for sure what kind of things have you done from a marketing standpoint to 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 get the word out there um uh, an email list uh and and a email marketing campaign is is always kind of the 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 main one that I start with. And then I, I use social media channels um, 
between Facebook and uh, Instagram. I, I do have Twitter. I don't use it a ton and take advantage of that one as much, but Instagram and Facebook uh, and my email list are my go-to marketing channels that I use. I have a website as well. That one is kind of a landing page for everything. Um, but, you know, with the way things have gone more recently, I could probably almost do away with uh, with a web page um, and still would be would be be able to market quite well. And it's good to hear others using email marketing. I think it's still a fantastic way of marketing, especially with what you're trying to do in a niche environment. Um, so that process, people, you know, come across your website or meet you in person, and that's how the sign up of the e-news kind of starts. Is that where where they get signed up for it? Absolutely. Uh, that that's the the main part. I have a, a link on Linktree on my Instagram as well for people to subscribe. So if you see any of the content you like, and then you subscribe that way. But a lot of the times, it's it's yeah, I have a conversation with somebody. Um, or somebody else kind of says, go check this guy out and look at this website and then subscribe if you like it. But uh, word of mouth is a big part of it. And when I'm obviously, if I'm talking to someone, I always ask if it's okay if I get their email and periodically send them stuff. It's probably um, one of the piece of information I get at any point of contact with a potential new client. Yeah. And I think that's an important step too, is if, if you can get them on an email list, then you can start slowly letting them know more about who you are building the trust, et cetera. Cause I mean, I, I, regardless of the type of people that you teach, the chances of meeting somebody and all of a sudden they become your client just like that, it doesn't happen very often. You kind of have to kind of have to grow that relationship a little bit and email marketing, getting an email every month or quarterly or whatever the case may be on a seasonal basis is the great way to kind of let people know who you are. They've already met you once, or maybe have some sort of experience with you slowly grow that relationship over time. Exactly. And usually the first time they're already reaching out about their golf game or some, um, or something like that. So I, I know that, you know, they're part of the market that I'm after. Yeah, that, that makes sense. So you mentioned all these different things you're doing, whether it be social media, you've got the website, uh, email marketing, anything that hasn't worked well, anything that, that maybe you look at and go, you know what, if I didn't have this, I would be okay. You mentioned a website uh, as maybe low on the list of priorities. Have you tried anything yeah. else that maybe you don't do anymore that you're like, I'm glad I moved on from that? <laughs> well, Twitter's one that I, you know, I started off on Twitter and I, I like the platform and stuff like that, but I definitely don't use it the way maybe I could. Um, so that's one that, that I don't use anymore. And then there's one like TikTok. That's, that's a new one out there that I'm sure a lot of people could take advantage of. But for me, I, I see no value, which I know a lot of marketing people would probably hate me to say that, but it's, it's one of those things that for me right now, I just don't see, see the point in, in that one. Um, not that it's, not that I have anything against people that are on it or using it, but for me, it's, it's one that I, there's nothing I can't do there that I can do um, Facebook wise or Instagram wise where it's at least, you know, I, I can still connect with my audience. So that, I mean, very are, important. that's kind of the way. Yeah. The audience yeah. side of things too, right? Like if you look at the demographics of Facebook compared to Instagram, compared to TikTok, et cetera, you know, you might Absolutely. be able to get a lot of attention on a place like TikTok, but is it attention from the right people? I mean, it's great to create content and get attention, but if it's not from the right people, does it really matter? Exactly. 
and, and that that's for me where that one doesn't doesn't make much but for for the compatibility between Instagram and Facebook I, I'm a big Instagram guy I like that's where I like to do my posting and a lot of it feeds to my to my Facebook but um, I do recognize that having a Facebook page uh, and Facebook's a huge one as well so those are the two channels that that for me are kind of are first and foremost and then obviously having that email marketing side of things is, is a big one that I couldn't do without my web page I do see the value in having it um, I wouldn't go without it but again as a priority it, there are ways you could get around having one especially with how Facebook works and stuff like that with their their business suite um, you could almost just run with Facebook mm-hmm yeah, and, and we've, our agencies worked with clients that maybe say, you know what, I don't have time for a website and maybe they go the Facebook route. The only, yeah. I guess, trick with, with that would be, I guess, as we all learned probably about three weeks or a month ago, Facebook goes down, then uh, <laughs> yeah. get the day off. <laughs> true. Exactly. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> Which in my line of work isn't really a bad thing if I get yeah, the day off, so I'm no okay doubt, with it. No doubt. Yeah. Um, now this is a little bit, I want to talk about personal branding. Now, personal yeah. branding is a little bit different in your regard because, you know, when I've talked to other golf professionals, they're working at a club, so they might be exactly. partially responsible for the club branding and the club advertising, social media, et cetera. And then do they do a little bit on their own? In your case, it kind of goes hand in hand because Rundell golf is you. Yeah, so, absolutely. What do you, in terms of, building a personal brand, maybe leaning on your experiences when you were more involved at a club or even other golf professionals that you know, how important do you think that is to build that per, that personal brand outside of wherever you might work? I think it's important. I mean, it just, it keeps, it keeps your options open. I, I think, it, you know, if you can always have a strong network within, with other professionals within the industry, um, and, and build your personal brand at the same time as, as working at a club or, or, or doing what you're doing. Um, I, I just think it, it's a way to showcase your skills and maybe highlight your finer qualities, which, which again, you never know what that could lead if you're looking for either a different career at some point or a different job at a different club or, or wherever. Um, having your personal brand established is, I, th- is, I think it's very important in, in the golf industry for sure it's a way to differentiate yourself from, from maybe a different professional. Yeah, it it really is. And, and, you know, all it takes is somebody to do a Google search of your name. And, and if you're not kind of separated out from where you work, you might not show up in that search like you want to. And of course, Google search engine can drive so much attention and and, uh, opportunity. Now, I, I guess when it comes to personal branding for you, the content that you create do you feel that by being the face of that content that helps people maybe not recognize you out in public, but maybe build a bit of a relationship. So when they do reach out to you for the first time, they maybe feel a little bit more comfortable because it's like, Oh, that's the guy that was on the videos. And I guess further to that, how often do you appear in your own content? Are you more focused on creating content where you don't even show up? That's a great question. I'm a fan of not being in my contents, but, but (laughs) I have requests from students and clients where they want to see, like you said, they want that familiarity and they want to see me in the content. So I appease them every once in a while and I'll, I'll be the content, but it's, I like, 
to be the guy kind of not in the content. And I like to kind of showcase my work and make my content almost more of a portfolio again, which leads into my personal branding where it's like, okay, here's, here's a look at some of the work I've done. Um, you can do this too. kind of, you can join in and, and this is, this is what we do here. When you come to see me, we're going to, we're going to take you from here to here um and and get you from a to b kind of thing and and that's that's kind of the marketing and the, and the personal branding i choose but i try to avoid being the the highlight of my content but i will jump in there every once in a while and i have fun with it too um i know i made some fun some fun videos and some i've had some fun with it and then i've done some technical um you know analysis type videos and stuff as well so I try to enjoy it, but I, I don't like being the, the face all the time, for sure. I like to kind of hide behind my work. So maybe more of the wizard in the Wizard of Oz behind the curtain pulling all the strings. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> now, you bring up a, a, a subject that I wanted to touch on with content, and I know in getting ready for the podcast, had a, I've had a look at your stuff, and I've seen it for many years. Your content is really, really strong. Um, I think one of the things that people get scared about about when it comes to content is the idea of creating content and oh you know I don't have the proper equipment or I I'm not a good video editor or I don't have any knowledge of graphic design what kind of tools do you use to create the content and 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 would you say that you have a real background in content creation or is just like use the tools that are available to me and figure it out as I go um, I'm definitely the latter, uh, use the tools available and kind of figure it out as I go. I've always kind of been inclined. I don't know where it came from, but you know, video editing and stuff like that. I've enjoyed that, but I wouldn't say I've always been good at it. It's always just been kind of chopped up and, and thrown together, but that's why I think I just use kind of what, what I have. And so I'll take a clip from, from here where we're doing one thing, or I'll take a clip from here where I'm doing something with, with another student. And they're not always the cleanest. They're not always the sharpest, but they get the point across and they, they usually get the message across. And, and then sometimes it's evolved and, and my work got better where I went from kind of using my hand as then just freehand to where I invested in a tripod. So some of the videos for a while got a little bit better, but um, you know, when I'm, when I'm doing video work with a client and I'm teaching, obviously the tripod is, is huge to have the video and the camera and the angle in the same place every time when you're getting technical with stuff. And I use those videos in my content sometimes, but a lot of the times it's, it's just a very rough, a rough kind of scrap together of before and after pictures and still frames and, 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 and I, I think it gets the point across. It doesn't have to be anything fantastic or or this amazing video or or these amazing photos all the time it can just kind of be quick stuff that i that i throw together it i don't know i i I guess maybe that's my my technique with it but i don't know it just kind of seems to work yeah and understanding that the majority of your content's going on social and you don't need to create an oscar worthy no piece of piece of work to put on Instagram. And I think that's, that's maybe one of the reasons that I appreciate your content is that it's, it's good and I can understand it, et cetera. But the fact that you're able to do more of it because you've in the back of your mind said, okay, you know what, this isn't going to be a masterpiece, but it's still going to be good. It's still going to be steady. You know, it's still going to get the point across and, and kind of look at it from that perspective where I'd rather create more good content than less amazing video content that I might only be able to create once a month. That's not going to 
help you fill your social channels. That's for sure. Absolutely. I mean, I try to, I try to keep it where I have an active presence on social media, um, with my content. So I, I like to be on there regularly. Um, and at times when I was, when I was really busy with it and I was committed to it, I was probably on there daily. Um, and, and it goes depending on how busy I am and, and how many clients I'm seeing and stuff like that. Um, sometimes I'll, I'll get it really active on social media and I'll pump content all the time. And then there'll be times like more recently, I've been just a little bit preoccupied with some of the other stuff I had going on and I haven't been as active on social media pumping content, but I still try to, to get my weekly quota in of, you know, three or four posts or, or a couple posts and, and get some story sharing and stuff like that as well, just so I can engage with my clients and engage with my audience, uh, and still keep that presence. Very cool. Yeah. And I think a fantastic job on the content. And I think if there's one thing that anybody can learn from looking at what Luke does is that importance of content. You can have a hundred social media channels, but if you don't put anything on them, you just have a hundred social media channels. Who cares? There's nothing there and there's no value that you're providing. So pick what you're going to do, do it well and do it regularly is probably the best advice. Yeah, I definitely let's do some quick hits. Okay. It's kind of like, it's like, it's like nine holes, some okay. random questions. Um, I'm always intrigued to hear what people have to say. Um, let's start out with, if you could go back and redo the marketing plan for your program, in this case, we'll focus on the junior program. What's one thing you would have done differently? I think I would have just started sooner. Um, I kind of let my, uh, definitely when I was early on in my career, I kind of let my juniors come to me. So I had no marketing strategy or no marketing plan in my hands. And my clients just kind of fell into my lap, which I'm thankful for. Um, but now that it's all I do for work, um, having, having a marketing plan is huge and having some strategy is huge. So I think just having something to start off with and and having a plan, I think would help anybody. And I kind of just didn't really have a plan and just let my, again, teaching wasn't my full-time job at the at the at the time but um with my even with marketing and stuff when i was when i had a website initially and i was at a club my website was more of a blog than it was driving content or or you know really pushing my personal brand and my services um so having just a kind of maybe a more more of a focused lens on what it is my marketing is going to do for me and what my 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 plan was going to be and oddly enough, flying by the seat of your pants isn't a marketing strategy for anybody nope. listening. That's, no, that's a, not a good way to go about doing things. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, at the, at the time, I was, like I said, I, I had different uh, goals and I was I was a member at a mm-hmm. club or I was a, a club professional. So um, the marketing side of, of things that I was doing, if anything, I was promoting the club. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Now, we haven't really talked about offline marketing, whether it be newspapers, print, uh, magazines, television, radio, whatever the case may be. In your opinion, though, is offline marketing alive and well, dead, different, but still effective or other? I think it's alive, uh, but oh man, that's a tough question. Um, It's definitely not dead. I I do see the value in some offline marketing. you know, I, for example, I was, I had a radio ad, um, 
there was a trade of services I was able to do and I was able to, and I tell you what, after that radio ad, my phone blew up for a little while. So it was quite interesting. Um, that was news to me. So, you know, it, there, and there's some, you know, if you can have uh, maybe, I don't know, even certain ads and stuff, but it, it's just not as effective. It's not as targeted as you can be with, with online. I, I just feel. So I, I definitely don't. I definitely don't think it's dead, but it, it's maybe not as effective and not as efficient as you can be. Yeah, no, for sure, and, and understanding your audience as well, right? Like if yeah. if you are targeting moms and dads of these juniors, you know there might be different avenues you want to look at on an off from an offline perspective. If you're simply targeting, you know, you're going to have a campaign where you're going to target the juniors, the newspaper or the radio might not be your number one place. So again, it's going to come down to understanding your audience. And I guess understanding your market too. central Alberta, I know from living here is very, very young in general. So that, that might change things up a little bit too. True. Um, the social channel that I use most is Instagram, Instagram, sure. and no TikTok. And if you are going to get on TikTok, I will follow you. I just want to see <laughs> Well, the funny thing is, is I have a TikTok account, uh, but I just don't use it. So uh, yeah. right when COVID struck, you know, there was, everything was up in the air. So I, I like everyone, dove deeper into my, my marketing and my, my social media. So I, I created another Instagram account and then I created a TikTok account, but I was really unsure of how I was going to use TikTok. So I basically, the deal I made was I, I would create it if I had a friend that would more or less manage it and post content, which that more or less fell through in about two weeks. So I think that I do have a TikTok <laughs> account, but there's only three, like three videos posted to it. <laughs> Not the growth that, that you were hoping for there, but no worries. No, 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 not the, again, maybe having a plan, <laughs> yes, have like a marketing plan with that one. Doing something uh, with it have, would probably help too. Yeah. Might, might have helped. But again, we, we, I think we already hit on it where it's given my, given my audience, it's, it's not one of the, it's not high on my priority list. Do you, any of the videos you create, do you post them to YouTube as well? Or do they just strictly go on Facebook? That's, that's a good question. So I, I guess I've always been, I've always liked marketing um, and the marketing side of things. I had a YouTube channel where I was originally kind of when I had my, my, I guess my website was, I was trying to go for more of a blog. Um, I had a bit of a video blog that I, or a vlog that I was doing and I was posting to YouTube, but that, that was a long time ago and I, I don't see that coming back. So it, I don't, so I don't, the answer to the question is I don't post on YouTube right now, but it's something I, it it's, I like the thought of it. Mm -hmm. um, it's just something I haven't got to. And I, I don't know if I'm ready to, I, again, I don't know if it would drive much, but I, I, I do like YouTube. Yeah. And YouTube's a bit of an to enigma that. too, because yeah. it's, it's part social and part search. Like if you look at the largest search engines in the world, number one, obviously is Google number two is, is YouTube, which is owned by Google. Yeah. So it's kind of like when, when we work with clients on the YouTube side of things, you know, are you creating content to get more comments and subscribers, et cetera, or are you creating content and putting it on YouTube from a search perspective? So when somebody looks up, uh, um, how to cure a slice, et cetera, your video comes up nice and high. So it's a bit of a, it's kind of a two pronged approach on YouTube, but I think for sure. And kind of going down the road that you were speaking about, um, 
YouTube, I've always found for a lot of our clients is that other channel that, oh, we should probably do something on YouTube because we have video content. And it's like, you know, there's opportunities there for people. But at the same time, if you're not creating a lot of video content, that's what the whole thing runs off of. So exactly. And, and I do create a lot of video content. They're just not very, not always long videos yeah. and stuff like that. They're sometimes short, which is again, why I like Instagram quite a bit. But um, I I have thought of cross posting to YouTube or, or something like that. But I, I just haven't got there yet. Um, yeah. It's not saying I won't. Um, I like, like I see, I see the opportunity and I see the, I see the, the reason why it's such a good channel, but I just haven't got there yet. Always comes down to time, managing your that's, resources. You have to run a business right. too. Yeah, that's right. Um, now, whether it be online or offline, what is one marketing channel that you wish you knew a little bit more about? Maybe it'll be YouTube. YouTube. I was going to say there, there, we just answered that YouTube for sure. Um, like I said, that's a, that's a channel that that's always, I've always seen the value there. Um, it's just how to, how to make it work for me. And that's, I guess, maybe where I could use more knowledge with YouTube. I'm going to give you a gift. I'm going to give you 500 new social media followers. So maybe Instagram followers in your case, or 500 qualified emails for your email list. Which one are you taking and why? This one's very, very easy. Um, with no disrespect to any of my followers on, on <laughs> social media, but I would take those 500 uh, emails, uh, qualified emails, hands down for sure. Um, they're already qualified and I, I'm a big believer in email marketing and it's a big part of the marketing that I still currently do. Um, and it, it's, it's, yeah, I can't, I can't express how much 500 emails that are pre-qualified would is, is for any business. I think that's huge. Um, that's your, that's your go-to right there for sure. Cause you can target those guys, um, all the time. I mean, even if your conversion rate on those emails is like one or 2%, there's business right there. You might not get business out of 500 new followers. Yeah, Exactly. Good to know. And I agree with you wholeheartedly. I would take those emails as well. Which golfer for you is a must follow on social media? <laughs> this one's tough too. Um, I, without probably I'm a big, uh, with, with what's gone on this year, probably Brooks Kepka. Um, mm -hmm. just watching him and Bryson battle it out on social media has kind of been entertaining. <laughs> you like conflict then? Is that <laughs> well, it, it's, it gets your popcorn out cause it was funny, but you know, yeah. after the Ryder cup, that's probably settled down a little bit. Um, but yeah, I would say, I would say he's a good one to follow for sure. Mm -hmm. Not agreed there for sure. You have a thousand dollars to promote an upcoming junior camp. How are you spending the money? Um, probably, and I would spend it heavily online with, with marketing. Um, you know, I would, I would obviously get something for the kids as far as some sort of wearables. Um, but then I would, a lot of it would go to, to Facebook and, um, and Instagram advertising. If, if I could, that would definitely drive the attendance and, and, and sell the camp out for sure. And Instagram and Facebook advertising or digital advertising in general, is that something that you do regularly? Um, regularly, not necessarily. Depends on, depends on kind of the program I'm running and, and, and if I, if I see fit, it, it's whenever I need to fill something, that's kind of the route I go. 
Mm-hmm. It's it, to me, it works fastest and it's the most efficient and, and it gets me the most, uh, the most leads. Yeah. You can get some ads up pretty quickly, very targeted and out the yeah. door and you can see some results quite, quite fast. Yeah, Have you ever been approached by or worked with an influencer before? Um, no, yes and no. I, I mean, I've gotten some, like some, some hand-me-down stuff and I've worked with, um, a, a couple of, I guess, yes, I guess if I've worked with a friend who's in social media a couple of times, but nothing major. And then I guess yeah. maybe just doing a podcast here or there. Yeah. And I guess some of your students might end up becoming influencers if they aren't already because of their, their strong golf games too. Well, absolutely. I mean, you know, we talk about some of the successes, you know, some of those, one of those students for sure is already a professional of his own. So, um, you know, I've had, you know, hopefully some of the stuff <laughs> that, that, uh, outside of golf, he's learned from me as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What's the best piece of marketing advice you could give other golf professionals? Um, you know, don't, don't sleep on it. <laughs> you, you know, marketing is a huge, is a huge tool. And, and I think, it, it's it's a big part of business, so I, I think the more the more well versed you can be in your marketing, um, the more success you'll have uh, with your business and with business. But yeah, you know what? You know you brought brought up your story earlier of working at a club and kind of putting marketing on the back burner because it wasn't really a thing you needed to worry about at that time. Lucky for you that the business kind of came along, but yeah, I mean, if, if you kind of have to start at zero and now's the time that you want to really take your business to the next level and you haven't built anything, it's a, it's a tough road to get things going. I mean, to build an audience, to, to build a website, et cetera, an email list just takes time. So yeah, definitely getting on it now, even if you're not necessarily going to use it to its full capabilities, having something there is never going to hurt. Yeah, having something and, and knowing how to use it um, is a big thing. Like I said, I didn't really have a plan. Um, you know, when I made the when I made the kind of transition from, I guess, working at a club to being self-employed and running my own golf academy and golf business, um, the big one of the big things I had was was a plan of how I was going to make it all work and how I was going to market it and who I was going to market to. So when I made that switch, that was very clear. And, and that was a big part of why, you know, the transition went pretty smoothly and was fairly seamless for me. Cool. And a final question, when you go to a family function and you meet all of your cousins, significant others, who is the one person you like to hang out the most with? Oh man. Anybody that, uh, that likes football okay. um, and maybe is a Chargers fan, okay. I guess. I, is that sucking up? But you know, we know. we don't agree on our football teams. <laughs> we don't. We don't. But we can talk football, so it's not bad. We it's can. Bad. We can. And one final thing before we let you go, give your yourself a plug, your social channels, your website, where people can find you. Absolutely. So my website's rundellgolf.com and then uh, our social handles on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter, even though it's it's mainly just cross posts from, from Instagram would be at rundellgolf. Luke Rundell, thank you very much for joining us. I will see awesome. you at the next family function, hopefully at Christmas if everything goes well. And right uh, thank have you, a Brian. fantastic day. You too.